Guys, my new book, How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital, just hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. It's ranking extremely high on Kindle and Audible, and I wanna thank you guys for grabbing it. If you haven't bought it yet, here's what James Y said in an Amazon review on March 8th. He said, literally, a step-by-step blueprint for conquering the world and building your own empire. Five stars. It's a verified purchase. He goes on to say, if you like doing things the hard way, don't read this book. For everyone else who appreciates someone showing you what to do and why it works step-by-step so you can rinse and repeat and accomplish the same results, read this book now in all caps. He then says, pro tip, stock up on highlighters while you're adding this to your Amazon cart, you'll be using them. This book should be required reading for every entrepreneur, startup or founder, business person, and human. Seriously, Nathan is in a kind of class that cuts through all the bull crap, he used a different word, to show you what you need to do and how to do it. If success came with an instruction manual, this book would be it. We'll be stocking up and handing these out as Christmas gifts to all my friends and colleagues. If I could give this book a six-star review, I would. From James, James, thank you. All you that listen to the podcast, thank you so much. SaaS founders are loving the book. Go grab an audible version right now at capitalistbook.com. Gremlin social raising one five on an 8 million pre right now. Have about 300 customers paying north of 625 bucks a month. So call it 187 grand per month or north of that. That's up from call it 150 about a year ago. So good growth there. Churns too high at 11%, but they're working on bringing that down. Team of 15 people based in St. Louis and Alabama. Again, helping the banking industry more effectively use social media in a compliant way to grow their businesses. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Doug Wilbur. He's the CEO of Gremlin Social, where he leads the creation, development, and execution of the company's long-term vision and strategy. He's a financial services veteran, previously serving as president of North America for Assembly Payments, where he oversaw all sales, marketing, and operational efforts for the region. Doug, are you ready to take us to the top? You got it. The top. What is Gremlin Social, and how do you guys make money? Sure. Gremlin Social is the leading social selling platform for regulated industries, specifically banks, mortgage lenders, insurance, and whatever. Okay. And so give me an example of a customer paying you. Yeah. So think about you know your standard community or regional bank who has 20, 30, 40 loan officers that they want to activate on social media and give them the ability to better connect with their local communities. Our platform enables that. Interesting. So this is like, you know, BB&T, the 30 loan officers in Austin, Texas can use what, like Twitter and Facebook through your platform in a compliant way? Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, all the major networks are supported. And what we firmly believe is that by enabling these loan officers to be active on social media, they can not only build deeper relationships with their community, but ultimately that translates to more deal flow. Why don't they just do that without you? Or do you add a compliance layer or something that's required? Absolutely. So the the company is sort of built around this core notion of compliance. So making sure that we're archiving every post, 
making sure that we're doing keyword filtration, we're blocking posts for removal that we believe to be suspect, really kind of providing the guidelines for the brand marketing people to know that nothing is going to run afoul of compliance obligations. Okay. And what do one of these banks, one of these companies pay on average, would you say per month? Yeah. So we're really transparent with our pricing. It's up on the website. Uh, if anybody wants to see, it's you know anywhere between, call it $625 and $1,500 a month. And that pricing depends on, you know, sort of what you want for our platform to do for the bank. So if it's just as simply a, a compliance platform where you're going to, you know, activate a handful of loan officers, it's going to be on the lower end of the tier. That's 625 per month. Yeah, 625. And then at the upper end of the tier, it's, it's more users, but it's also taking advantage of our content services operations. So one of the things that we discovered was that, frankly, it's really hard for a lot of banks to be able to not only be disciplined enough to be able to post enough on the social networks to make an impact, but also had a really hard time editorializing what to say. And so our content service offering essentially is the easy button for them to be able to create posts and get them out into the marketplace. When did you launch the company? So the company has been around since 2011. We pivoted to work specifically for regulated industries and, and even more specifically financial services around 2014. So it's it's really been a, a compliance-centric solution since about that time. It got very difficult in that time frame, the 2012-2013 time frame after Buddy Media, Involver, Vitru, like all these companies in this space exited. And I saw a lot of companies like you that did not exit try and figure out like ways to kind of get into a niche, right, to grow market share. Was that decision driven by all those exits that happened at the time? Yeah, there were a number of factors that, that went into that. What you mentioned certainly was, was top of mind. But I think where we saw a significant opportunity was just frankly how hard it is for regulated industries to be active on social and to be able to become social sellers. You know, A lot of those things that you see with more consumer-facing brands, banks specifically can't really take advantage of. And, and we saw an opportunity that we could crack the code on compliance and if we could crack the code on what banks and other you know institutions should be saying on social that we had a significant opportunity. And so what have you scaled to today in terms of total customers? Sure. Yeah. So we work with about 300 banks today, primarily in the United States, and you know are looking to grow via adjacencies. So think about growing into insurance, growing into wealth management, growing into mortgage, things like that. So can I take that 300 times that 625 ARPU you gave me minimum, you're doing kind of 180, 190 per month? You could do that math pretty easy. Yeah. Okay. And what's growth look like? What were you at a year ago? Yeah, so we're, we're growing very quickly. We're sort of at the beginning of the hockey stick that most startups are you know, trying to get to. So we, you know, year on year growth is somewhere between 30, 40%. But really for me, and I took over as CEO this previous April. So really for me, it was focusing in on a couple of key metrics or KPIs for us. It's, you know, what's the average contract value look like? What does the length of our sales cycle look like? And how do we ratchet that back to get more deals in the door quickly? And then really at the end of the day, making sure that we're focused in on what that seat license cost looks like for us because of all the downstream implications of servicing the customer. So we, we made a decision to you know, really tighten up our pricing model, tightening up our sales strategy, and we're seeing the results. So our sales last quarter, which was the first quarter that we were under our new pricing model, sales were up like 33%. Our average deal size was up about 33%. Time to close those deals was down over 10. Down under 10 what? 10 months? 10% lower. It takes us about 90 to 100 days to close a deal. Okay. When, before you made all these changes, what was it? Yeah, it was up, you know, north of 120 days. So we're, we're, you know, peeling back the onion as quickly as we can on, on how do you communicate that value prop and really where we can add a lot of value for regulating the industry and we're getting closer every day. And you use the words tighten pricing. I don't know what that means. You, you went upstream, downstream, what? So it was really being more, it was more about being transparent with our pricing. And, and one of the things that we had found was, 
we didn't talk about price early enough in the sales process. And when we did talk about price, we loosely gauged it based on the asset class in the bank. And to me, that never sat right. And to me, it was more, let's look at the value that we provide and let's base our pricing on the value that we provide and not necessarily predicate that value on the size of the bank. And so now a bank of any size can come in, they can see our pricing at the very front door and they can pick the plan that's right for them. Is the company bootstrapped or have you guys raised? No, we were capital or venture capital based. We've raised about four and a half million dollars to date through the venture market. And we're looking to raise a small round actually right now and moving forward from there. How much are you looking to raise? About one and a half million right now. And what would you use that on? It's really, you know, now that we think that we've got, we've cracked most of the code on our sales strategy, it's, it's really to ratchet up sales and marketing efforts primarily. We do have some product development that we'd like to continue to build out. As you can imagine, you know, working with the social networks and the deep relationships we have, they're changing the way their algorithms work. They're changing the way that their APIs work. So we, we do have some, some product work that we'd like to do as well, but primarily sales and marketing. And without getting into specifics, I'm just, uh, don't talk about what your actual valuation is, but what would you love, like in an ideal world, what would you love to raise that 1.5 at? Yeah, it's, it's pretty easy for us. It's, uh, we're raising one and a half and an 8 million pre, nine and a half post. Do you have a lead already? We are very fortunate that we've got some good money in the door from some really smart venture capitalists that are, are helping us to get the round put together. Yeah. It's always tricky, though, unless someone comes in and puts more than 50% of the round and actually sets the terms. Otherwise, people just give you soft commits and they're like, let us know when you got the term set. I mean, do you actually have the term set? We've got the term set and we're really looking for in this round. And the reason why we opened up a round is we're looking to bring on a strategic that can help us to sort of ignite our growth into you know a couple key new verticals. So it's it's not necessarily just to bring in capital, it's really to bring in capital plus a strategic partner. Would you look at on the back of kind of maybe if you don't want to take as much dilution, raising a million and then putting 500 grand and then maybe like venture debt on the back of it? Yeah, we've looked at that. We've got some options there as well. But I think, you know, given the types of players that we're looking to attract, I mean, writing a million dollar check is not as attractive as something north of that. Well, tell me what you mean by that. You just take more dilution. Yeah, we would. And I think that's okay, right? So for the right partner, we'd be willing to take the dilution. I think what you're talking about is, is spot on. I mean, we, we do have flexibility to uh, not necessarily get fully diluted, but we think that with the partners that we're looking at, the upside long-term value is far outweighs some short-term dilution. Makes sense. Talk to me about some of the other economics churn. What's your churn today? Yeah, so that was another thing that we took a, a hard look at when I came on board. And, and frankly, churn was something that was higher than I would have liked to have seen when I came in the door. And so we've we've reallocated the team and, and sort of reconstituted what customer success looks like at Kremlin Social. And we're happy to report that that churn is going down. It was probably somewhere around, call it 10, 11% month on month. And we're, we're ratcheting that back. Monthly logo churn or revenue churn? That would be logo churn. Logo churn. Okay. And what's it down to now? We're south of that. And Q4 will be a really important quarter for us to be able to really understand that the changes that we've put in place are, are taking effect because we do have, you know, our customers are signed up for longer term contracts. So yeah, they've got a, a monthly fee, but we bill them annually and we have them locked up on three-year contracts. And so right now, this December season for us is, you know, pretty heavy on renewals for us. And so a lot of effort went into heading into this quarter and into December specifically to make sure that we, we have the right process in place. I mean, 11% churn though, I mean, that is like way too high. I mean, that basically means you churn through your whole customer base in nine to 10 months, right? I mean, I don't understand how do you have that much churn, but you're saying you have three-year contracts locked in. Yeah, so it's it's those folks that are coming off of those three-year deals. And, and frankly, I mean, that's sort of the, the way things used to be. And then part of the reason why I'm here is to you know make things more aligned to how we want them to be in the future, right? So I'm, I'm a very much focused on a couple of specific goals in the company, churn being one of those things, secondarily being what do our deals look like that we're bringing in the door? 
And how can we make sure that we get more of those deals more quickly? You know, to land a $625 a month customer, what are you paying fully weighted to acquire them? Yeah, it's, it's actually not that much. We're fortunate we've got some really good channel partners that help us to drive deal flow. So we don't spend a lot of money on advertising and marketing. It's really just, you know, we've got a sales team and they get commission off of off of sales. So, you know, the cost to acquire a customer is very minimal for us. Okay, you're talking like a 200 bucks or a grand or what? Oh, I mean, definitely less than $200. Okay, so I mean, if I was looking at investing in the company, my argument would be like, prove you can spend a dollar to make two, but it sounds like you don't really do direct paid spend. So if I gave you money, you'd be using essentially my money or this new money you bring in to test these new paid channels. These aren't paid channels necessarily. These are, you know, one of the things that is really critical to understand about the financial services space is that buyers of technology within these organizations, they don't buy off the street per se. So they work with endorsed solution providers. They, they're, they're all part of trade associations. They look to, to be able to provide guidance on how to and where to invest in their technology and what technologies to invest in. And so we're, you know, we're in the endorsed social media solution for the American Bankers Association, for example. That provides us with a conduit into the 5,500 FDIC-insured banks in the United States. And so what we're looking for is, and, and part of what we're, we've been focused on since I came on board is, you know, how do we land two, three, four more of these, you know, really exclusive channel relationships that help us drive our deal flow without going out and spending a lot of money on Google AdWords and, and things like that, that we don't really believe necessarily are effective ways to spend our marketing dollars. Yeah, sorry. My point there, Doug, was that based on what you're just telling me of how low your CAC is, you haven't run experiments to drive growth using dollars, right? Which if you can find a channel that works from an economic perspective, that's typically where your fastest growth channel is going to be. So in other words, if you had to run a test and you know you can find a thousand trade associations and it's going to cost you five grand to sponsor each association and you get five new clients, you can back into that. My point was if you raise capital now, you don't know what those models are. So you would use that new money to go test all those things. And people would say, well, I don't want to be the test money. We have a pretty good understanding what the model is. But you just told me you have no direct spend. So the way I would put it is we understand what a good partner relationship looks like for us. We understand that the metrics need to be aligned, that the value proposition needs to be aligned to what their customer looks like, what their customer is looking for. But you know, in many of these instances, we're, we're willing to do a revenue share. And we want to make sure that those goals are aligned to make sure that we're falling at the top of the stack when they're out there talking to their members or giving us access to talk to their members. So you know, we've got a, a pretty well-oiled model that we're looking at that's, that, you know, frankly, we've turned away a couple of relationships because they don't fit our model. So, so your, I, your point's well taken is that, you know, we're not necessarily out there doing A-B testing in the traditional sense, but I think we've got a really good understanding of what it's going to take to scale the business. No, it's, it's more just along the general thesis that founders tend to like to say, it's all organic and inbound. We pay nothing. And I just see that as a massive weakness. I would actually, in a world where the person that can pay the most wins the customer, you actually want to see people that have proved that they can afford a $2 dollar-based CAC to get a new dollar in ARR. That's actually where you want to put your money. And so it's just, it's a reverse psychology kind of thing. That's all. Talk to me about team today. How many are you? Yeah, we're, we're lean and mean. We're about 15 people, primarily based here in St. Louis. And we've got a small team down in Birmingham, Alabama that came to us by an acquisition. That's great. When was that acquisition? Just a few weeks ago, actually. Oh, so this is one you led? Yeah. What was the acquisition and why did it make strategic sense? Yeah, so we acquired a competitor. They're a company based out of Birmingham, Alabama called Social IQ. What was really interesting about that business was a few different things. One, the CEO of that business, a gentleman by the name of Josh Dennis, who stayed on as our CTO, proven track record of building and scaling technology startups. So we really liked him as an individual. We really liked the team. We also really like the fact that they have two very deep relationships with core processors. And so in the banking world, 
your core processor, you know, provides much of your backend technology. And Social IQ is firmly embedded with FIS and CSI, so two leading core processors. And so we like that. Of course, we like their customers and their revenue as well. So it really made a lot of sense to bring them under the hood, so to speak, and then to work to consolidate, you know, two platforms into one. That's great. Very good. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. The famous five. Number one. What's your favorite business book? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's funny. I was listening to some of your other podcasts and these guys are all rattling off books. I mean, for me, I actually, I, I live a little bit more in the moment. So I've got a couple of news feeds that I subscribe to every day. Technology on entrepreneurship, you know, news feeds, and uh, I, I gain most of my insight from those. Is there kind of an under the radar CEO in St. Louis that you really respect? We're really fortunate that, that we've got a board that is constituted of a number of highly successful, proven entrepreneurs. And so, you know, I look to those guys on a day in, day out basis to sort of guide the direction of the company. Yeah. So the, the idea in that question is to give a name of someone that other people might go study. So is there a name of someone, again, that you really respect? So, I mean, if I was to look at, you know, some of the big time, the big names, I mean, certainly I, you know, I follow what Bezos is doing. I follow what Tim Cook is doing, but I would say, you know, with every business, it's so unique to what they're trying to accomplish that I don't necessarily think that one CEO is somebody you should follow. What's your favorite online tool for building your business? Salesforce. Absolutely. We live and die by what the data is in Salesforce. Number four. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Usually seven or eight. And what's your situation? Married, single kiddos? 10 years of wedded bliss, two happy kids. Number five. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew, Doug? To be a little bit more patient. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned as I've, uh, you know, gotten a little bit more gray hair is, is being patient, trusting yourself and making sure that you know you've got the, the right answer to the question. Guys, be more patient. Gremlin Social raising one five on an eight million pre right now. I have about 300 customers paying north of 625 bucks a month. So call it 187 grand per month or north of that. That's up from call it 150 about a year ago. So good growth there. Churns too high at 11%, but they're working on bringing that down. A team of 15 people based in St. Louis and Alabama. Again, helping the banking industry more effectively use social media in a compliant way to grow their businesses. Doug, thanks for taking us to the top. You got it, man. Thanks for having me.